The greatest story ever told is a true story. It is a story of adventures, battles, kings and queens, heroes and villains, good and evil, history and prophecy. It is your story. Come join the adventure of the Bible story. Chapter 132 A Boy King Jezebel was dead, the evil idolatrous queen mother of Jehoram had finally met the fate prophesied by Elijah many years before. Lying on the street beneath her apartment window, her blood spilled on the bricks. Jehu ordered his men to move on. They did, riding right over Jezebel's broken, lifeless body. They continued down the street until they reached a tavern where they went in for food and drink. After eating a hearty meal, they pushed away from the table. I suppose it is time to go and bury Jezebel, Jehu remarked. She was a daughter of a king after all. Royalty should be treated with some respect, even if only for the office they hold. Put her in the ground. But when Jehu's men went to collect Jezebel's body, they couldn't find it at all. They could only find a skull and parts of her hands and feet. Not knowing what should be done, the soldiers reported back to Jehu. This is exactly what God said would happen, Jehu recalled. I remember now. Elijah the prophet said that dogs would eat Jezebel near the wall of Jezreel and that there wouldn't even be enough to give her a real burial. She would just become animal feces left on the field and not even have a tomb or monument for anyone to remember her by. This was the end of one of the most wicked women in the Bible. Her idolatrous sins caused great evil to come on Israel and resulted in the deaths of many people. Although she was the cause of many of Israel's problems, she was able to get away with it because the people were also sinning. Had the people not been so anti-God, they would have rejected her gross paganism. With Jezebel dead, Jehu set about completing the rest of his mission. God told him to completely destroy the house of Ahab, which meant all of his descendants and family. Jehu knew that Jehoram had 70 brothers, all children of Ahab. They lived in Samaria, but Jehu wanted to get them without having to destroy the city if possible. So Jehu sent letters to each of the leaders in Samaria and to all the elders and Ahab's friends, challenging them to choose a king and come out and fight. You rule the capital city of Israel? You have an army with horses and chariots and armor? He taunted. Now choose the most talented and strongest of Ahab's sons and put him on his father's throne to fight for him. But the leaders in Samaria were too afraid. Each one wrote back that they would not make a king and would instead be Jehu's servants and do whatever he said. Jehu sent his reply. It was not what the leaders had hoped. If you really accept me as king, then you need to prove it, read Jehu's next letter. Send me the heads of each of Ahab's seventy sons living in Samaria. If they are not delivered to me by tomorrow morning, I will come and get them myself, and their heads won't be the only ones I collect. Sure enough, before dawn the next morning, the leaders of Samaria brought the heads of Ahab's sons in baskets. 
Jehu told the men to dump them out into two great heaps at the main gates to Jezreel. This sent a strong message throughout Israel that Jehu was the new king and that even Jehoram's allies had now switched sides. The next morning, when Jehu walked to the gate, he saw a crowd staring at the piles of heads. Some people looked sick, others looked accusingly. I may have killed Jehoram, Jehu told the crowd, but that was according to God's will. But who killed all of his brothers? Jehoram's own friends and your leaders, and that too was God's will. Understand this, Jehu continued. Every little thing that Elijah and Elisha said concerning the house of Ahab will be done. Not one word that God commanded will fall to the ground. For the next several hours, Jehu ordered his troops to search Jezreel for all those people related to Ahab and for all the pagan priests they could find and put them to death. He then had some of his men clean up the nearby villages and towns before heading towards Samaria, where much of the rest of Ahab's family lived. Located on the way to Samaria was a sharing house where many people were gathered. When Jehu scanned the crowd, he realized he did not recognize any of the men, even though they were dressed as royalty. Who are all you people? Jehu asked one of the richly dressed men. We are relatives of Ahaziah, king of Judah, the man confidently replied. We are on our way to visit Jehoram and Jezebel. He did not realize that Jehoram and Jezebel were dead and that Jehu was on a mission to totally root out anyone related to Ahab. Jehu immediately ordered the men put to death. After the last of the 42 dead men were thrown into a nearby pit, Jehu's army continued towards Samaria. As they neared the city, suddenly the gates swung open and a lone rider on an ornately decorated chariot pulled by two stallions bolted out and away as fast as he could. It's Ahaziah! shouted an astonished Jehu. He must have learned that the city's leaders would not protect him. Get him before he gets away! Ahaziah had the lead and it took furious riding for Jehu's men to even get into bow range. With the arrows falling well short, Ahaziah began to breathe easier. He thought he had escaped. He looked at his beautifully muscled horses as they lengthened their stride. What fine animals, he thought. Suddenly, it felt like someone had punched him in his gut. Moments later, searing pain shot through his side and up his spine to his clenched teeth. A sticky wetness enveloped his legs. He had been hit by an arrow. His magnificent horses kept galloping, leaving Jehu's men in the dust. Knowing that Ahaziah had been hit, Jehu wasn't terribly upset that he got away. As it turned out, Jehu was right not to worry. Ahaziah died of his wounds soon after reaching the small town of Megiddo, located to the northwest of Samaria. Later, Ahaziah's servants carried his body back to Jerusalem, where it was buried in the royal vault of the kings. Jehu turned his troops towards Samaria again. On the way, they spied another group of mounted men, led by a man Jehu recognized as Jehonadab. Jehonadab was a highly respected and well-known man in Israel. 
although he was not royalty. This strong leader belonged to a clan of people called the Kenites, who had settled in the southern part of Judah. The Kenites were descendants of Moses' father-in-law. After greetings were exchanged, Jehu told Jehonadab about his mission. What is your take on this? Jehu asked. Is your heart with my heart? It is, and I only wish I could do more to help, Jehonadab said. Then take my hand, Jehu replied, as he reached down from his chariot and pulled Jehonadab up. Come with me to Samaria and see my excitement for the job God has given me. Once the group arrived in Samaria, Jehu's men set about ridding the city of the rest of Ahab's evil family. Jehu was happy to have Jehonadab ride with him on his chariot because he wanted the people to see that such a respected person agreed with what he was doing. Hopefully, it would encourage people to support Jehu's reforms. Jehonadab had made a lasting name for himself by teaching his children strict obedience. His descendants set such a good example in adhering to the words of their patriarch Jehonadab that God promised that his family would never die out and that there would always be at least one male descendant alive. To this day, people of this tribe live somewhere on earth. After fully taking control of the government in Samaria and establishing himself as king, Jehu developed a plan to get rid of all the priests of Baal. He knew he had to be clever. If he just began riding around killing any pagan priest he saw, many of them would hide and continue to deceive people and worship Baal in secret. So Jehu issued a proclamation. As you know, I have killed many priests of Baal, he wrote. But that was necessary because they supported Jehoram. To make amends, I wish to hold a great celebration in Baal's honor. If you think that Ahab was a great worshiper, wait until you see what I have planned. Many of the people who worship Baal were excited to hear this. The priests of Baal were especially delighted that they would continue to be held in a prominent position within the land. The proclamation continued. Let all the loyal prophets and priests of Baal and all their servants come to the temple of Baal. Anyone who doesn't come down to worship his god will be worthy of death. So all the priests and worshippers of Baal throughout Israel came to Jehu's celebration. So many people came that they completely filled the house. There wasn't room for a single additional person. Make sure all the worshippers of Baal have their proper priestly garments, Jehu instructed his men. And that way it will be easier to identify who the Baal worshippers are. His men went through the crowd, ensuring all the worshippers got their special garments. Next, Jehu and Jehonadab went into the house of Baal and asked the lead priests to make sure there were no worshippers of God inside the building before they began offering sacrifices. Once that task was complete, both men left the temple. The strange shouts and chants of the pagan priests filled the air. Then, on Jehu's command, 80 hand-picked soldiers rushed into the temple with swords drawn. The door slammed shut. Jehu's command to these soldiers was simple. Let no one out alive. After the great slaughter, Jehu ordered his men to ransack the temple. 
They dragged out the many idols of Baal, smashing and breaking them apart, and tossing them into an enormous pile before lighting them on fire. The temple was completely ruined. Jehu ordered it broken down and turned into a public waste dump. Jehu rooted out and destroyed Baal as God had commanded him. Sadly, however, Jehu did not fully obey God. Instead of encouraging the people to worship the true God, he let the people worship the two golden calves that evil Jeroboam had set up in Bethel and Mount Hermon almost 100 years earlier. Jeroboam had set up these idols because he did not want the Israelites to return to Jerusalem to worship God at the temple. He was afraid the people would want to be ruled from Jerusalem again and stop following him. Jeroboam had set up his own idols and commanded the people to worship them instead. Perhaps Jehu was similarly afraid that by completely abolishing idol worship, the people might want to return to Jerusalem's rule. God was not happy about this and sent word to him. He told Jehu that because he had faithfully followed his instructions concerning Ahab's house and Baal worship, his descendants would be allowed to rule the northern ten tribes of Israel for the next four generations. However, God also told him that because he was not fully obeying him, curses would come upon the land. Jehu refused to change, and it wasn't long before Hazael, the king of Syria, about whom Elisha had received a horrifying vision, was back to his troublemaking. All those Israelite soldiers who had lost their lives attacking Ramoth Gilead died for nothing because the Syrians would soon gain control over the whole region. Hazael would be trouble all the days of the 28 years of Jehu's reign, committing the very atrocities Elisha had foreseen. When Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, the king of Judah, learned that her son was dead, she realized that her grip on power would soon slip. She knew there was only one way to keep control. She had to murder all of her grandsons and take the throne for herself. Only a daughter of Jezebel could so callously murder her own flesh and blood. In a grisly night of terror, all of Ahaziah's sons were killed. With no royal heir to oppose her, she became queen of Judah. But Athaliah didn't realize that she had missed one of Ahaziah's sons, the baby Jehoash. Jehosheba, one of Ahaziah's sisters, stole him away from the evil queen and hid him and the baby's nurse in a secret bedroom chamber. Later, she smuggled them out of the palace to the temple. There, the baby Jehoash was raised by Jehoshiba and her husband Jehoiada, the high priest. Over the next six years, as Jehoash grew, Jehoiada and his wife trained him up in the proper worship of God. Jehoiada also planned for the day that Jehoash would take back his rightful throne. Jehoiada knew that God had promised that there would always be a descendant of David on the throne. When the boy turned seven, 
Jehoiada sent messengers to all the leaders of Judah not loyal to the evil queen. After six years of misrule, many people were upset that Athaliah was more interested in enriching herself and promoting Baal worship than in governing for the welfare of the people. The messengers invited all the Levites, the chiefs of the clans of Judah and other important military officers to a secret meeting at the temple. Invitations were only sent to those Jehoiada was confident could be trusted. The conspirators made sure that no one supportive of the queen knew anything about the meeting. When all the chiefs and leaders were assembled, Jehoiada reminded them of the oaths of loyalty they and their forefathers had made to the house of David. He said that God would hold them responsible for their actions and that he had something important to show them. At his signal, a young boy walked out before the assembled crowd. This is Jehoash, son of Ahaziah, the rightful king of Judah, Jehoiada announced. A gasp filled the air. The crowd knew something momentous was happening. My wife rescued him when he was a baby and brought him to live with us when Athaliah murdered all her grandchildren. Jehoiada explained, You know that it is his birthright to become king, as only a descendant of David should. God holds you all accountable to do your duty to the king. When the murmurs of consent and excitement talking finally died down, Jehoiada explained his plan. Jehoash would be made king on the Sabbath. He divided his men into groups and armed them with the weapons King David had stored in the temple many years before. From now on, Jehoash would not be without armed guard. As the future king, he needed to be protected in case word leaked to Athaliah about what was happening. On the Sabbath, all the men took up their positions in the temple. Then, with the Levite musicians playing their instruments, the young Jehoash walked before the assembled crowd toward the altar. There he was presented the Book of the Law, which God had commanded that all the kings write their own copy, and was anointed with oil by Jehoiada and his sons. With trumpets blazing, a crown was placed upon his head. God save the king! shouted Jehoiada the priest. Long live the king! The people erupted in cheers and clapping and shouts of, God save the king! God save the king! The noise from the coronation was so loud that it could be heard by Queen Athaliah. What is all that racket about? She snapped at her servants. Sounds like it's coming from the temple. I thought I ordered them to keep it down over there. Send me my royal coach, she commanded. I will find out what's going on myself. to be continued in our next episode and continue the adventure by reading the Bible story. Find it under the Resources tab at pcg.church.